Welcome, patrons, to episode 50 of the original Draft Breakdown podcast bonus episode. I'm your host, Seth Cox, with me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we're doing this sans our producer, Robert Bond, who's taking some well-needed vacation time away from everything and uh, going back to Hawaii to enjoy some family time, which, I mean, let's be honest, um, we're a little jealous. Yeah, we, we so we should catch everybody up too. It's been a uh, whirlwind kind of couple weeks for us. Uh, first of all, I got COVID, and so that kind of put us that kind of that was a little setback. And then uh, I recovered thankfully in time to meet up with you in Las Vegas with our wives. So we normally would record on a, like a Monday, but that was Valentine's Day that week. And with uh, with Robert out, we were not really able to coordinate uh, to get something put together last week but we got our act together this week so we're going to get a patron episode i might make it public later in the week like maybe friday or saturday but uh first we wanted to uh put this out for the patrons because we just posted a mock draft today for the patrons as well and i set that up for all patrons to see regardless of tier because we wanted to kind of pay pay it back for not doing a show last week so that's the little rundown where everything's uh, should be back to normal next week. We've got a guest lined up, our first guest of the, of the uh, draft season, so that should be fun. Uh, hopefully that doesn't fall through, but uh, everything should get back on a more normal schedule next week. Yep, and like Justin said, we're this week now back into just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Uh, and you know, a lot of that comes with us figuring out everything that, that we're getting into. And, and so, you know, one of the things that we like to do to kind of reset with everything is, is sometimes you do these, um, you do these mock drafts to kind of see where everybody's at and get an idea of where people are in terms of, um, what they're thinking and things of that nature. And so, this week, you know, when you look at it, we did we dropped our first mock draft of what I would say is the is the season. Right. And we wanted to do one before the combine. So we're between All Star games. We've got the combine coming up next week. We wanted to squeeze one in between because it's a good time to kind of gauge who's getting the Senior Bowl, who's getting the All Star game bumps, and before anybody gets the combine bump next week. Before we get into that, though, we got a couple things, and and it'll be interesting because we're going to discuss this and then drop our mock draft, and you you know you'll be like, well, what are you guys thinking? So let's start. Um, there's a debate right now raging on whether or not um, which, which Ohio State receiver is better, and we've talked about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave for a while. Um, We've each had them ranked. Uh, you know, I've had, I've had Olave higher. You've had Wilson higher. Basically, the whole time. Yep. Um, so, to us, it's it's a matter of preference more than anything. Would you not agree? I I think it it does come down to that. Uh, but there's some interesting you know, takes coming out of this because from where I sit, it seems like there's a divide between 
the people who are fans like myself or, or alumni have some kind of association or, or cover Ohio State in some way between our take on this and the people who are watching it from like a draft Nick perspective where they're maybe only watching a tape of, of three, four games apiece. And so the latter category seems to favor Olave and the former category, including myself, we tend to um, hold Wilson in higher esteem in terms of draft prospects. And I think there's good arguments on both sides. And what it does, you know, what what is pretty obvious is they're both good. Okay? So you have to you have to figure out, you have to articulate why you prefer one or the other. And for me, and I've been pretty clear about this, Wilson, I prefer Wilson because I like the way he attacks the ball in the air. I think he wins more in the air in a contested situation, which there are going to be some. And for a guy that size, they're about the same size, six foot, 190 pounds, 195 pounds maybe. Uh, They both run well, but I like the way Wilson attacks the ball in the air better. Um, I also like the way Wilson runs after the catch better. I feel like he's more... Of a, I think he's going to be more productive after the catch, and I think he's going to be more secure with the football. I think he's a stronger guy. I, I, I think he has stronger hands, and uh, he's going to break more tackles. He's going to fumble fewer times. So really, that's it. I think what Olave does better is I think he's a little bit faster. I think he tracks the ball better downfield um, over the shoulder. But again, if you watch some Olave and you see some of these passes that are on target up in the air downfield where he has to jump and, and try and go after the ball in the air with a defender on him he doesn't come down with the ball as often as Wilson does so that's my observation uh, I don't have a, a, a stat for that but that's where my preference is so that's why I think they're both first round or early second round type of, of receivers I think Wilson could be a receiver one on a team, though, and I think Olave's more of a receiver two. Yeah, and I think that's a fair, you know, conversation. I, I've always preferred Olave's um, route running, and I think he's a smoother route runner. Um, you know, and, and when you talk about guys like that, like the high end comparison always comes out as somebody like. You know that's his size is is like a Marvin Harrison, right? Like the leaner um, guys that that are route runners. Whereas you know Garrett Wilson, like you said, he's maybe not as as um, not quite the speed burner, but he's going to be a guy that you know is a little bigger, a little thicker, um, and he's you know. And, and plays stronger. And so, like, you know, you'll you'll watch him and, and he'll be a guy um, that's, you know, more of... And, and, again, this is high-end, and so I don't want anybody to say this, but, you know, he's more of like the, uh, like the Michael Thomas type. Now, he's not quite as big as Michael Thomas was. I think Thomas was, what, 6'2", 210, but, you know, he's that same type of physical guy um and, and like you said he's a guy that is able that that is 
more aggressive going after the ball when it's in the air. And so so I do like that um you know that trait about him when you when you talk about him. Um and and I think you're you're hundred percent right. I think Olave is the smoother looking of the two and I think that's part of the reason why he and, and and don't get me wrong, I don't think you have to watch fifty guys of a player, fifty games of a player, I should say, to get a feel for him. I think it's just something that you get over time if you've watched both these guys play every game like I have. There's no question that Olave's the smoother one. Um route running, I've seen it debated. I've seen some people say Wilson is the better route runner, I've seen some people say that Olave is. I think he's definitely the smoother route runner. And Wilson runs with kind of more like a violent style. And that's one thing, one of my concerns about him is I feel like he's gonna, he's hard on his knees the way he's he runs. He's choppier. But, um, yeah, it's just it's weird because Olave, I've seen Olave kind of get erased from games. And when Wilson played, he always seemed to be a factor. It, it, it didn't seem like he was a non-factor. And a couple times this year, Olave got kind of shut. Like one game, he literally got shut out. He had no catches. He had one catch that was called back by a penalty. And I felt like he was the number two target in all the games, in, in most of the games throughout the season. You know, some games, Wilson seemed to be the top target. Some games, it seemed to be Smith and Jigba. Um, but, you know, Olave, even on his own team, even as a senior, as a record-breaking senior, he didn't seem to be their top dog at receiver. Now, the thing is, you could argue they had three top dogs. So, it's again, it's a situation where you've got two very good players from the same school at the same position. And so, the, naturally, you're going to have these debates with them, right? Um, but I saw it, it kind of got carried to the extreme in a couple of tweets where it's like, um, you know, Olave greater than sign four times over Wilson and not even particularly close. I, I don't think that's correct at all. I think you can make an argument for both guys based on, like you said, preference. But I don't think you can say, like, some people are acting like Garrett Wilson wasn't, wasn't any good. Well, and I, you know, you and I and our, our buddy Kyle Posey were talking about this the other day, and one of the things I said is, I trust Olave to be, the, you know, at worst a good number two in the NFL. Um, and to me, whereas whereas Wilson, you you even said, you know, you could see him being a really, you know, solid number one. But like, if if is he going to be able to be a guy that that plays that second fiddle role, fills that second receiver role? Um, Whereas I, you know, like you said, we've already seen Olave do that, and he's done it well. Um, I, I just think that was kind of my thing. I, I kind of see Olave as a higher um, floor, but maybe a lower ceiling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think there are probably people who agree with you on that. You know, um, so I, I think, but I like Wilson's ceiling, and I think he has a pretty good chance of hitting it. You know, he's not Jamar Chase. Um, and it is you, you, you kind of cringe a little bit when somebody compares him to a Stefan Diggs because you've got similar size profiles um, and I think that, that Garrett Wilson is going to run in the 4-4s 
so you don't want to, you know, yeah, you scratch your head trying to compare somebody to um, one of the top receivers in the league. But uh, I think this is a, it's a, I think you've got, and we'll talk a little bit about this in the mock draft. I think you got four really good receivers at the top of this class, maybe even five or six, if you carry on into the early part of the second round. And uh, these are two of them. I mean, the, these guys are both, I think they're both going to be good. They were both fantastic college players. Uh, they uh, Olave, ironically, never had a 1,000-yard season, but he's Ohio State's all-time leader in touchdown catches. And then Wilson, in three years, he had, uh, 20, I think, 24 touchdowns. And uh, he did break a 1,000 yards this year. So both guys, really good. Um, you can't really go wrong. It, it's funny that it, it kind of became like a hotly debated topic because it's it's like you're debating between, uh, you know, two fancy steak houses or something like that. They're both going to be good. You can't really go wrong. Let's get into this mock draft. We'll, we'll whiz through here. You want to uh, go through the, the whole thing or you want to start with, uh, since we talk about these receivers, maybe we can talk about where we had them slot in the mock and then kind of circle back on some of the other picks. Yeah, definitely. So one of the, you know, we had the first guy off the board, and and we've talked about this. We think he's going to end up being the top guy in the class is going to be Drake London, the USC wide receiver. Um, And we have him going eighth overall to Atlanta. And this is interesting because – Atlanta is in a weird spot with Cal- the Calvin Ridley situation. You know, a guy they just drafted in the first round, what, two years ago? Or was that three years ago? He was actually 2018. So, okay, he's, so- he's going into his fifth year. And, uh, yeah, there's uncertainty about his situation. He stepped away from for uh, mental health concerns. It sounds like he wants to play again, but there's a lot of t- uh, chatter that, that they might trade him. So this is a player... When Julio Jones was traded, everybody thought he was going to be the beneficiary, the tons, yeah. tons of targets, and and then it did not work out for uh, obviously for circumstances outside of football. But it sounds like he wants to come back. But is does he want to come back for Atlanta? And that sounds doubtful. So we've got London going eight. This is a tough one because you've got they need. A little of everything, right? Edge rusher. They could probably take a corner. Uh, they could. I mean, you can never have too many wide receivers. And then you have the Matt Ryan factor. I think the fact that they didn't take a quarterback last year. This is something you and I have talked about with other guys, but uh, or other teams. The fact that they didn't take a quarterback last year. I, I'm not going to say it precludes them. But I would be surprised if they took a quarterback at eight this year. Right. Um, this class is not better than the guys they had available to them last year at four. That being said, the biggest you know question marks we had were guys that we had going right after. So you had uh, Denver taking Sauce Gardner, the you know fantastic corner from Cincy. And, and I had, same argument there. If you're going to pass on Justin Fields last year. You're going to tell me they're going to take a quarterback at number nine this year? Right. Yeah, I did. I, it doesn't add up to me. So I, I liked uh, the value of Sauce Gardner there. And again, this is a, a, just to reiterate, this mock is posted on Patreon. All of you can access this so you can see 
exactly what we're talking about pick by pick. And also feel free to comment or send us an email if you have any questions or complaints. If you have any complaints, you can at uh, Seth at S Cox FB on Twitter. Yep. And then uh, so we had Sauce Gardner. Charles Cross and George Karloftis going, you know, right after. So that was that was the thing is. Well, we had Karloftis going, it's kind of a spoiler, we had him going 13 to the Browns. Right. And, and that's one of the things, though, is, you know, we talk about quite a bit. Is the number one receiver better than the number three edge rusher? Or the number three tackle in this class, like that's that's where this came in, and I I just thought the value, and I guess technically we had Karloftis going as the fourth edge rusher, right? So, so you know that was the that was our whole thing with London is we had him going eighth overall as the top as the top wide receiver. We didn't take another wide receiver. And this was something that you and I kind of went back and forth on a lot of situations for a lot of different teams until 22 with Las Vegas. And that's where we have Garrett Wilson. Uh, so Garrett Wilson, as you, you put in your analysis of, of making that pick, they've got a need there because the Henry Ruggs fallout. You know, Obviously, Henry Ruggs is, is probably never going to play NFL football again. And he's been released. He was their big first-round pick a couple years ago. They've got a hole to fill there. And they've got a team that's, um, you know, a a playoff team, a playoff-caliber team in the AFC, at least a contender. So Wilson is a good pick there. He steps in and fills, fills a need. And then we have the next receiver going at 25, the other Ohio State receiver, Olave. I took him for the Bills. And, and yeah, my logic and there is that they, they're going to have a wide receiver two opening. They, they're going to lose Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. Gabriel Davis had a huge, huge playoff game. He had four touchdowns in a playoff game. But it, has he done enough consistently in the first two years? He's had a couple 500-yard seasons. Is he the guy you want to bank on with a team that was on the brink of uh, you know crossing over and getting to a Super Bowl? Is there enough there with um, – you know, with Gabriel Davis as your wide receiver too, and I think Olave, he fits. He's a perfect fit for what Josh Allen's uh, skill set is. And, you know, talk about tracking the deep ball. You got Stephon Diggs to feed targets to. You have got Olave to break deep, and I think that's a great fit. And then we finished off our wide receivers in the first round with Traylon Burks going to Green Bay, and again, it was one of those situations where we looked at it, and you know. Would a guy like Jahan Dotson, uh, would a Jamison Williams be a better fit? And and it just really came down to, you know, the need of of the Packers if they are to retain um, Aaron Rodgers versus, you know, what they have on the roster. If they retain Rodgers, you have to assume that they're going to Retain Devonte Adams, right? Like they wouldn't do one without the other. Yeah, it seems um, that way. And it's a, and the, one of the funniest things of the week was Aaron Rodgers, like making sentimental Instagram posts that made it sound <laughs> like that had people speculating was, all the time that he was going to retire. And here he just did like some kind of um, 
butter-based diarrhea cleanse <laughs> to, to clean out his colon or something. And so, you know, so we have Burks there. I mean, do you take a Jahan Dotson or a, a Sky Moore there? Because the no, only other not option, Sky Moore, no way. The only other option is Jameson Williams, and he's probably not going to play till week what? Uh, I mean, midway through the season, probably. Yeah, you, you figure he's probably a candidate for the pop list at the at best. You know, Burks is an interesting one. We're going to come back to him later in the show. But, I mean, you know, how would they use him as, like, a, a giant Randall Cobb? Or, you know, or do you want a guy like John Dotson, who is more like Randall Cobb's size, but faster? So that's an interesting uh, scenario, I think. And, 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 you know, just back to the receiver topic in general, we, we, we went back and forth with these picks. Seth picked uh, the even numbers. I picked the odd numbers. And each time... It seemed like every team, if you look at the team needs, could need a receiver. But they also need other positions, too. And then you look at the way, for example, the Browns. I know they, I forget what they call it, the, the tent poles or something. But it's like their their cornerstone positions are going to be quarterback, defensive end, cornerback, and offensive tackle, right? So when I was picking at 13... And we've got one receiver off the board. My logic is you've already lost three top defensive ends. And I'll I'll talk more about that in a sec. So do you take the defensive end here where he's still a premium player, Karloftis? He's going to test like a freak. He's giant. He's 275 pounds. He's not even 21 yet. Or do you take uh, a, a receiver or do you figure at... Your next pick, 47, I think, somewhere in the in the 40s in the second round, there's going to be a receiver there. You might even get Jameson Williams if, if people are too scared by the uh, the knee injury. Now, it's another conversation. The Browns want to take an injured receiver, but um, the point is it's a deeper pool of talent at that position, and it's not one that they've identified as a franchise, as a cornerstone position. So, you know, I take Karloftis there if they really want a receiver – and they want to mess around, maybe they trade back from 13. If London falls to there, would you take him? You know, I, you know, I, I like London a lot, and he's probably my receiver too in this class. You know, I've got uh, Garrett Wilson, Drake London. I think they're my, my top two receivers, and then Olave and uh, Burks would be my third and fourth. You know, but so I think it's too close – you know, you're getting different things from all this, all four of those guys, but I think it's kind of too close between the talent and and the fact that Cleveland could literally use any one of the four. That in that situation, I'm probably still taking Carloftis, uh, Carloftis if he's there, or, you know, we had, um, well, let's talk about the edge guys. We had Kayvon, I took Kayvon Thibodeau one because my theory is that Jacksonville is going to have a hard time justifying taking Evan Neal and uh, Iki Ikwanu at number one after they see the defensive ends test versus these offensive linemen. So if these guys all do the combine drills, it's going to be really hard for Jacksonville to justify taking those guys over a Thibodeau or a Hutchinson. Or maybe even 
Karloftis or Ojabo. So you had Hutchinson going too, which makes perfect sense. Detroit, Michigan, you know, premium position. And then we have uh, Ojabo going seven to the Giants. So one, two, even three. though even though Dave Gettleman's not there yet, still. <laughs> no, but yeah, but they need pass rush, and he's explosive. He's going to test like a freak. Uh, some people think he's better than Hutchinson. So to me, it was you know if I think if Ojabo's there, say say uh, say the Giants take uh, offensive line or. Maybe even Karloftis. If Ojabo's there at 13, I think he's the pick too. So I think Cleveland will will take one of these defensive ends if they're there at 13. The offensive line's been something that's been highly debated. Um, In our draft, the first offensive lineman going is at number five, and Evan Neal's the first guy off the board. Um... And then we kind of have a rum, Iki Ikwanu. I took him with Carolina. I know people think that that could be the first pick for a quarterback. I just don't see a guy worth number six. So I, I, I had a hard time pulling that trigger there. That was um, where I thought you were going to take Pickett because we, we've talked about Carolina. They need a quarterback. And even the hot rumor out of the Senior Bowl was how infatuated Carolina is with, with Pickett. Yeah, that's such a weird one, right? Um, yeah, guy can't even open his hand a full way. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got then we had um, Charles Cross going at ten, and it's odd because we've seen Cross's name coming up even earlier. He was in a he was actually mocked at number one in one of the mock drafts um, recently, and then he did a. There was a video of him, or a still picture, I think, on Twitter, but he apparently had a 31-inch vertical in uh, one of the training sessions. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's at Exos, where everything is, is you know, inflated. But, but um, regardless, Cross seems to be the person who most people think is going to be the best athletic tester of the offensive lineman. So, uh, if... You know, if you're talking pass protection, could Jacksonville take him over Neil and Equanu? Especially if he's, you know, I think he's going to test better than those two guys. I've talked about their testing and how it, how it's better, going to match up better with guards or right tackles. So, um, yeah, the, the interesting thing about the cross pick to me, or even the talk of them, of the Jets wanting offensive line is how quickly... It seems like they're conceding that Mackay Becton is a bust at left tackle. Yeah, it, it is interesting there. Um, you What's know, my rule, Seth? Nobody over 330. That's too it's big. It's a risk. It's too uh, heavy, too slow, too hurt, all those things. Next on our our list, we, we had Tyler Linderbaum going 14. Um, then we had Kenyon Green going 19. And then we didn't have another one until a little later. Tennessee taking Trevor Penning. Isn't that like a perfect fit, by the way? Yeah, I think you wrote it up. Like, they want another, you know, nasty SOB like Taylor Lewan. And so (laughs) Penning, like, to me, honestly, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't think Penning looked that great at the Senior Bowl. He just had some highlights of, of him, you know, being kind of dirty. 
after the whistle. And people like that kind of thing. They like that kind of edge from a player. But I also saw some highlights of him getting walked back by, uh, I forget where the kid went to school. I want to say Kentucky or Kansas. But it was like a 220-edge player, 220-pound edge player walking him back. And then, you know, of course, he gave him the business after the whistle because that seems to be his specialty. But, you know, I'm I'm skeptical on Trevor Penning. Um, a lot of people, you said it yourself, you saw somebody had him mocked in the top 10. So 26. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say is DJ uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him sixth overall. So I had Iki Iquanu going sixth, and you and I debated it. Jeremiah loves and, Penning. He was gushing about him. Jeremiah has him going six. Um, you had Zion Johnson at 27 and Bernard Raymond at 29. And then you finished off your picks with going against your own uh, rules. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I took three. I mean, I took two linemen toward the end that I wasn't that crazy about in uh, in Raymond, who's going to be 25 and coming from Central Michigan. You know, everybody, for some reason, they they love him because he grew up in Europe and played a different sport. Like, I don't know. It's people people have these weird things. I remember when Dan, what was the guy's name from Baylor? Danny something. Philly took him, and he was a Canadian firefighter. And people were just like, this guy's so tough. Remember that guy? Yeah, yeah. Guy, was, I can't remember his last name. Was it Daniel Watkins or Danny yes, Watkins? Yes, Danny Watkins. That's who it was from Baylor. And the whole senior bowl, they're just like, you can just tell how he's a fireman. Like, you can tell he has the strength to carry a hose up 20 flights of steps. Like, who cares? He's, he was 26. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, to get back to your point, against my own rule, I have Cincinnati taking Daniel Fa'alele, who's just a mountain of a, of a human being, but who, again, I don't think he had a great senior bowl week. People were running by him on the outside. But Cincinnati's going to be able to put him at right tackle, where he's just a humongous you know, force of nature. And when you, when you can give him some help with tight ends, running backs... He's just it, it's going to take long and longer to run around him than it is for Joe Burrow to get the ball out. So, right, exactly. You know, and, and when you've got all these other linemen that have gone off before Cincinnati, no question they made the right pick with Jamar Chase last year, but no question they still need help on that O line, and that's why I made that pick. the The interesting group, or na- I shouldn't say group, but names. That we were, you know, and we did this, so it's not like it's not like we were shocked that we didn't pick them. But names that we wanted to have in the first round, and or, um, you know, felt like deserved to be mentioned. Um, you know, we're not going to give away the whole farm, but you know, we're going to give you most of it. So, um. I would say the first name that kind of jumped off was Jameson Williams, but you and I are kind of anti-ACL guys in the first round if they haven't come back and played yet. Yeah, Jameson probably, a healthy Jameson Williams, he's a top five receiver in this class. Uh, at, at Jameson Williams with the torn ACL, I think you, you, you let those first four guys come off the board before you think about it. And if you're Cleveland, like I mentioned earlier, they need a receiver, but they need a receiver who can play in 2022. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. So, like, most of the year. So, like, say this falls similarly, and and Williams ends up falling to the to the Browns' second pick. You still really can't take him, right? Or, or is it at that point where just he's so good that you have to grab him? The only way Cleveland can take him there is if they make some kind of trade. Um, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be Cleveland's quarterback. Is it going to be Baker? Is it going to be, you know, some kind of trade? It's not looking like any of the big names are going to get traded at this point. So is it going to be somebody like Trubisky or Mariota? Either way, you don't want any of those quarterbacks playing with two rookie receivers. You know, and it sounds like Jarvis Landry might have been asked to take a pay cut. Didn't seem too keen on that idea. Maybe they they come together later, but he might be out. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, who you need more than one receiver in Cleveland. You need more than one receiver that's going to play this year. And so unless they make a splash at the position in trade and free agency, I, just, I don't think you can take Jameson Williams in the, in the second round even because if you're Cleveland because uh, he's got to go to a team that can afford – to have him show up halfway through the year and be like lightning in a bottle, you know, and you just don't know how well these guys, you know, this game, his game is predicated on speed. He's thin framed. And so those are two right there. Those are two concerns coming back from an ACL, uh, the way his knee bent and I'm speculating here. Okay. We can do that sometimes. The way his knee bent and the fact that he didn't have surgery till about 10 days or so after the injury leads me to believe, and I think we might have talked about this, that he possibly suffered more than just a clean ACL tear. You know, that uh, oftentimes when they wait 10 days or so to do the surgery, it's indicative of a meniscal involvement, you know, the meniscus tear. Uh, you and I both have experience with this, so... Not I'm I'm speculating, but I'm also you know not talking out of my ass here. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I just don't think Cleveland is a good fit for him, even in the second round, because they they have too much of a crying need at the position to wait halfway through the year. They they've got to get back into the playoffs next year. Or things are going to get sticky. We uh, another guy that we did not have in there was Andrew Booth Jr. Um, you know, it, it, a one-year starter, but he was a five-star recruit, I believe. But he only started one year, a down year for for Clemson. Is he a guy that you can just feel comfortable taking because of the upside? So PFF had it had some stats on him. He kind of got burned a good amount this year compared to some of the other corners in this class. And, you know, we had uh, the guy from Clemson a couple of years ago, Trayvon Mullen. Uh, he got burned up badly in the national championship game. But he's turned out to be pr- a pretty decent player, right? Um, so I don't know that, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I thought he had a good season this year, but I could be wrong. But Booth is a player I considered with the Patriots pick. I ended up taking Roger McCreary because I know that Bill Belichick historically favors players with on-ball production. McCreary had something like two picks, 14 pass breakups. 
He's close to six feet tall. He does have short arms, but he's close to six feet tall, and he runs a four four. There, they might let J.C. Jackson walk in free agency. So corner would be a need. So Booth could be a guy that Belichick likes. He had, I think, three picks this year. So it might be enough. But I know Belichick likes the guys who average more than one, average about one kind of pass pass defensed per game. And Booth did not hit that threshold. I don't think that's a hard and fast thing. But for first round, uh, considering McCreary is very fast and coming from an SEC school, that's why I linked that pick up and so booth just kind of fell out the, the door out the out the window because you you also took both uh washington corners with a couple of your picks you took mcduffie and, and kyler gordon so booth just kind of got kicked uh he, he was the can that got kicked down the road yeah uh let's quickly go through we only had three quarterbacks in our in our draft uh Kenny Pickett, the first one off the board. We'll leave those where they went as a surprise for later for you. Uh, Malik Willis, and then we ended with Sam Howell. Um, Were you surprised that Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter we didn't take? I think the big one for us was Corral hasn't done anything right now, so we're just kind of waiting patiently for him. Um, and then Ritter just was, I mean, he's a guy, I don't know where he fits in. Corral ended the season hurt. He's going to be small. He's going to be under six foot two. He's going to be around 210 pounds or lighter, which is, it's small for a quarterback. Um, like 70% of his production's coming off of RPOs. That's something that's going to cause a lot of headaches and a lot of stress and evaluation. He's tough. Um, you know, he's got a, a history of kind of mixing it up, kind of being a, a little bit immature. He's, he's discussed some of his growth as a person, his maturity. Uh, he's pretty open about it. I respect him, and I think he's a tough kid. And he's, I think he has good arm. He has a good, easy arm strength. He's a decent athlete, but he's not great. And I think that... Uh, and I wrote about this on, on Patreon, too. So if you didn't catch my article on first and third down passing, that's open to all patrons as well. But he, and I talked a little bit about it there, too. Like I don't think he's going to test as well as all those rushing attempts would suggest. Same thing goes for Hal, by the way. Um, so I think you're, you're still looking at a guy who runs like a 4.8, high 4.7. And, uh, you know, he's got some escapability. He's got some moxie and all that right but i don't think that physical tools in in terms of your your whole package size arm athleticism i don't think it adds up to a first round quarterback so oh go ahead no i I just don't think that's i think that quarterbacks right now you know uh, we've we've heard people predict that four are going to go in the first round and I, i just don't buy it i think three is a stretch we only had one safety in the first round, Kyle Hamilton, who we had in the top five, which is, again, something that you and I don't like to do. But Hamilton's a freaky dude, and, and like you said, without without being obsessed with the, with the uh, quarterbacks, guys are going to get pushed up. We'll mention two that we didn't, or three, sorry, 
that we didn't include, but you know, could after the combine could sneak in. Um, Jalen Petrie was a guy who played really, really well at the at the Senior Bowl. He was bodying up the uh, Trey McBride. Yeah, Trey McBride. He was the Mackey Award winner, right? Or was he? No, he was uh, the the leading receiving tight end in the country. And and so you know he's a guy that I think is going to get some run. Uh, Lewis Seen out of uh, Georgia, um, and then uh, Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. I think all those guys are going to get get some love. I thought um, about Brisker with I think the third Philly pick, but they've never taken a first round safety with Howie Roseman as GM, so I end up going in a different direction there. Uh, you, well, and you, I think I, I think my pick for them um, will be the first one they've taken in like thirty years in the first round. Linebacker, yeah. yeah. And and uh, Daxton Hill was another safety that is getting some first round love, and he is going to be a, a freak at the combine, forty inch vertical, four three type of guy, at about two hundred pounds. So Hill could just get he could get a major combine boost, right. Um, anybody else we left out that you wanted to mention? No, I think, um, I don't think there were a ton of, of surprise first rounders. I think it's just more where we had some guys, we, we are predicting a little bit that some guys are going to slip where they're we're getting, predicting. Yeah. Like Daniel Jeremiah had, uh, Trayvon Walker, I think. Fifth overall. And then Dane Brugler had him as his sixth overall ranked player. We've got him going later in the first round in the latter third of the first round. I don't think he's going to test that well. I think he's a tweener. Let's quickly address that, not just Walker, but how many of these guys are going to get the big combine boost where, where, you know, guys that aren't familiar with athletic testing already or, you know, maybe haven't, run the numbers kind of like you do with the with their high school years how many of these guys are going to get that that combine boost um yeah that's that's a good question i plan on actually trying to get some kind of prediction piece out there before if i if i can squeeze out the time i I would like to do that for the patrons um, before the combine but uh just off the top of my head you know hill is one he's he's going to run Four three, and uh, that's always something that uh, defensive backs, you know, that's appealing for defensive backs. I think uh, Calvin Austin is a player that we've talked about after the Senior Bowl and before. I think he's going to run in the four threes, and we saw Hollywood Brown. That was enough, even though he weighed 150 pounds soaking wet. That was enough to get him in the first round. We saw two two Atwell not even run that fast, and he still went in the second round. So I think. Calvin Austin has a really good chance. Um, the guys that need the bump, the biggest, the most, are the running backs because nobody's talking about the running backs uh, being early draft picks. And so I think if Brees Hall can run a sub 4-5 at 220-plus, then you're looking at a player who could sneak in to the late first round. At the very least, he's going to go in the Jonathan Taylor area. Not Not that he's that good, but... Uh, he's he's a very good player. Um, we don't know what, what Kenneth Walker is going to run, but if he runs sub four or five after the season he had, then there's going to be 
a renewed interest in, in this position. So, uh, and, and another guy I think is going to have a combine boost who kind of got a senior bowl boost too is uh, Jeremy Rucker, the tight end from Ohio State because he's 6'5", 250. He's, not every rep is clean, but he's a guy who can block. And uh, he should test well athletically too. And we've got a pretty deep tight end class, but no superstar has popped. You know, some people thought it was McBride. I don't think so after he measured like an H back at the Senior Bowl, and he's probably going to run around a 4.8, maybe 4.7, maybe in the mid-4.7s, but he's not a big guy running that that speed. So um, Ruckert's a player I think could make a move up the board. We got a hot – oh, you wanted to – Mention something real quick on Traylon Burks. Yeah, this came in. This came across late, so this is a late add to the show. But uh, one of the stats that was highlighted, I think, by a PFF guy, um, Traylon Burks was in the twentieth percentile in average depth of target over the last two seasons. So what you have here, and, and to explain that, just for anybody who might not know, is. He is running routes very close to the line of scrimmage. He's very rarely running routes downfield. And this probably explains why when you see somebody hyping Burks on Twitter, that he, he they're showing the same four or five plays where he is going downfield. Because that's the those are the five plays he did it. You know, he is a guy being used very close to the line of scrimmage. It's something we've talked about. I didn't know it was even on this level, but we've talked about it throughout the year. But you're talking about um Situation like Rondale Moore, Paris Campbell, um, LaVisca Chenault, and uh, who's uh, Tyler Boyd coming out of Pitt. Not comparing any of these guys as prospects. What I'm comparing is their usage in college. And, and that is they are being schemed up to get touches close to the line of scrimmage and then pick up yards after the catch. Is that more, in, is that more of a... Uh, Indicative of the type of quarterbacks they're playing with, or is it because of their ability as route runners or their, you know, specialties in terms of what they what they can do athletically? I think, you, you know, Chenault's a name that I've used, I've brought up many times in talking about Burks. Here's the thing: Burks is going to be a lot faster than Lavisca Chenault, at least of a tenth of a second. Because Chenault ran like a four five eight. Okay, Burks should be. Closer to 4.5, maybe even 4.45. Four, um, but I've, I've, I've put him in the, you know, I'm exaggerating, but I've kind of put him in the spectrum of, is he Chenault or is he Julio Jones? Well, this tells you he was used more like Chenault in college. And so you just have to do some may, projecting. There. Yeah, just because he may test like Julio doesn't mean he's going to be Julio. And that's what people kind of want, right? Yeah, you have to do some projecting here. As we did with Rondell Moore, Paris Campbell, Tyler Boyd, um, and and uh, Chenault's really the only one who hasn't shown flashes. Even Campbell, who's been hurt his entire career, when he's the three games he's played, he's made some plays down the field. You can see the talent is there. I think the talent's there with Burks. I think he's got good uh, body control. He has enormous hands, as I was reminded by our good friend uh, Luke, who's at Lake Effect Bro on Twitter. He has just gigantic mitts you know this guy it's um you know he he does attack the ball in the air like i was talking about with wilson 
earlier, but I just think there's a bit of projection here with Burks, and this stat kind of illustrates it. And it's not just this season, it's over the last two seasons where he, where most of his production came. Real quick before we get out of here, we got a hot take. It's interesting this time of year, you know, you, we talk about the bumps, right? The senior bump bump, the... Uh, uh, the combine bump, the, you know, the all-star game bumps, all of that stuff. And it's always interesting to go back because hindsight is twenty twenty. but also you have to remember what some of these big draft guys say in order to, you know, keeping up with the Jeremiah's is like what, what I like to call it. Like they want it, they want to hold weight and, and, be a part of the of the group and so they come in with similar same takes and then four or five years later they like to they like to act like they never said anything and so you know today on twitter uh doug farrar who's um i don't know where he's writing at anymore to be completely honest he he was i want to say he's a the usa today thing like touchdown wire or something okay so he uh you know he's bounced around quite a bit, um, so in, he he's breaking down Hassan Reddick today, and he said the Cardinals try to make Hassan Reddick an off-ball linebacker for three seasons. Nope. Then they declined his fifth-year option. Watched him have a career year on the edge. Then they deemed him expendable, and so then he says this was his week ten retort, and it's a play where Reddick sacks Colt McCoy, causes a strip sack and a fumble, and. My buddy, good good friend of the show, um, Jess Root said, in fairness, at six one two thirty five, I recall pretty much everyone gushing at him being off the ball, senior bowl in coverage drills, um, and it seemed like you know everyone was making the same mistake. Here's what Doug Farrar put post draft when he gave the Cardinals <laughs> a B plus for their drafting of. Um, Hassan Reddick. At 6'1", 237 pounds, Reddick doesn't fit the traditional outside linebacker, but that's fine in his new home. Defensive coordinator James Betcher will have him patrolling the field, covering slot receivers and tight end, facing up to the run at times and occasionally blitzing. <laughs> the, the cards love moving chess pieces at linebacker, and Reddick fits that profile. He's right about that. The cards love drafting linebackers and moving them all around. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so one part of that he got correct, but that's the thing, man. I mean, you know, Justin and I are going to get stuff wrong. We talk about it all the time. I got and, Hassan and we, Reddick wrong. I agreed with Doug. I thought he was going to be an off the ball linebacker. He looked great in coverage. It was it's projection. We had to project because he was a two hundred six one two hundred thirty pound edge rusher. But your uh, our friend Jess Root did a great job breaking down all the times that. The, Cardinals actually tried to use him like that, and he stunk. Right, and so that's the thing is like, you know, when when you're talking a position change, and that's something that Justin and I talk about a lot, or, or a usage change, you have to be very careful and very mindful. And, and patient. So, yeah, and so like you were just saying with Traylon Burks, and it kind of fits in in the same way, when you – when you look at Traylon Burks, he is a guy that you have to be patient with and you have to give him time to grow or or else you're going to be disappointed because he's he, 
the way he was utilized at Arkansas isn't conducive to immediate wide receiver success in the NFL. Doesn't mean that he won't have a you know eight hundred or nine hundred total yards from scrimmage um, as a rookie, but it, it's likely going to be where he's you know maybe has five or six hundred receiving yards, and then maybe you know two or three hundred rushing yards as well. Um, you know, kind of in that Debo Samuel type role. Um, and so, you know, that's what we always talk about is like when you're projecting a change of usage or change of how a guy is deployed, you also have to be willing to admit that there's a change in, in overall, you know, um, how long it may take in 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 finding his way in the league. Yeah, and you've already got I, I mentioned Chenault. I'm beating up on him tonight, but you've got people who are completely giving up on him after just two years and, and last year was such a mess in Jacksonville with the coaching situation. Trevor Lawrence didn't play very well. Um, but Chenault was and, and Chenault was ended up uh, used being used as an outside receiver when the initial thought was that he was going to be their slot guy and a player that they manufactured touches for. Now you see he played outside. He didn't play well because he's not meant for that role. You know, um, uh, Terrace Marshall is another guy who started out there using him in the slot, but then they, it seemed like they didn't know what to do with him later in the season. He just became a forgotten man. People are giving up on him completely, too. I don't think he'd do that. Uh, and I, I think uh, that, that Traylon Burks is a better prospect than both of the guys that I just mentioned. But Marshall was a good prospect, too. And he was marginalized because they couldn't figure out how to use him. And uh, you know now the draft next, the fantasy guys, they're not being patient about it. And they played with some terrible quarterback play. It's really not... Not fair to uh, to toss the baby out with the bathwater in this situation. So, I agree with you. I think be be patient with Burks. I think there there are other receivers who are going to make more of an immediate impact, and that's why he's my wide receiver four. Um, but I still think he's a very good player. You just have to do a little bit of projecting there, and um, and that's okay, you know, because a lot of colleges don't play anywhere anything resembling an NFL offense. It's just like does the guy have the athleticism, the, the, the ceiling, and certainly have the production to make that jump? I think he does. I just think we have to be a, a little, little patient. patient with yeah. Him. Yep. Anything else before we get out of here? No, thank you uh, to the patrons. Thanks for being patient with us, by the way. Um, not having an episode last week, we will try and avoid that as, as often as possible, especially if I figured this out correctly. So fingers crossed that this works. And um, we'll catch you next week on the free show and then we'll do another patreon show too later next week we're going to get into the combine big time next week and we got a guest coming up knock on wood that that doesn't fall through but uh hopefully everything works out and we'll i'll be thankful to have our producer robert back because he really is the straw that stirs the drink here very much so. We appreciate you guys for listening and subscribing. If we Once we end up making this free, make sure you subscribe so you can get all this good stuff every single week in your inbox. Have a good night, everybody.